This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Were you at all turned on during this at all, even a little bit? Tonight, BC RCMP issue a statement about the sex assault interrogation that's prompted nationwide outrage. Plus... It's going to cost workers their lives, and that's difficult to me to accept. And the father of a son killed in an infamous gas and dash speaks out about the dangers that still exist for staff who work alone. And talk about a fish out of water. The four-legged visitor spotted roaming the streets of Vancouver today. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It's the RCMP interrogation video that has sparked outrage right across the country. A male police officer at the West Kelowna Detachment in 2012 asking a series of unsettling questions of an Indigenous girl in ministry care after she reported a sexual assault. Today, the RCMP confirms it has ordered a fulsome review. Kristen Robinson has our top story. I mean, he's taking your clothes off. How much of a fight did you put up? For- Weeks after APTN and Global News obtained video of an officer's interrogation of a young alleged sexual assault victim. I was really freaked out. The BCRCMP top brass confirming a fulsome review of the 2012 investigation is underway. I think that it was necessary for them to come out in terms of public relations. What could they do? This is uh, one more example of the ways in which the RCMP is missing the boat when it comes to sexual assault and supporting survivors. In part of the two-hour videotaped interview, the West Kelowna RCMP officer asks the 17-year-old Indigenous youth who was in ministry care when she reported being raped by an acquaintance whether she was turned on by the alleged sexual assault. Were you at all turned on during this at all, even a little bit? Physically, you weren't at all responsive to his advances, even maybe um, subconsciously? Deputy Commissioner Jennifer Strachan says RCMP agree on the surface that this case doesn't appear to align with public expectations or current standards and practices when addressing sex assault investigations and supporting victims. RCMP also establishing an external review model for sex assault cases similar to the Philadelphia model, which allows advocates and victims to scrutinize sex assault files annually. A review protocol Regina Police will test this summer. There is really zero evidence to say that that would be effective, uh, given the fact that the RCMP also has zero record of ever wanting to be held accountable by a community, of which the Philadelphia model has baked in. We didn't see anything. I was too scared. RCMP citing an ongoing criminal investigation and civil litigation, unable to provide further context. Those who work with sex assault survivors say no amount of perspective could explain or justify the officer's line of questioning. Absolutely not. It's abhorrent. There'd be no line. In fact, it's voyeuristic. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
The National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls is calling for considerable legal reforms. They include police establishing standardized protocols to ensure all cases are fully investigated. The inquiry also calls for the creation of standardized response times to reports of missing Indigenous people. The report found that Canadian society shows, quote, an appalling apathy to address the issue in what it says amounts to a genocide as defined by the United Nations. During the course of the inquiry, some of the families of the missing and murdered withdrew their support, partially over a lack of communication. The chief commissioner said federal bureaucracy hampered the inquiry and her request for a two-year extension was denied. The report will be released in Quebec on Monday. Commissioners were asked to probe systemic causes of violence against First Nations women and girls. The Prime Minister will officially respond to the inquiry's findings on Monday, but today he was in Metro Vancouver where he met with Burnaby firefighters. Well, did you have a good meeting with the Burnaby Fire Department? Great meeting, great meeting. Really good people. Justin Trudeau waded into the crowd this afternoon in the city's annual Hats Off Day Street Festival. Earlier, he met with the mayor of Burnaby and local firefighters. It's a politically fraught territory for the PM, though. The city commissioned a report into the possible increased safety risks at the Burnaby tank farm if a proposed expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline is allowed to proceed. Nearly 15 years after the shocking gas and dash death of a station attendant, a plaque was unveiled today honoring Grant DePady. The 24-year-old was killed trying to stop someone from stealing gas. As Jill Bennett reports, his father says much more still needs to be done to make it safe for those who work alone at night. Grant stood alone at those pumps. He was hit 60 feet from the pumps. He wasn't standing in front of a car, waving his arms. He wasn't trying to grab anybody. It was 2005 when Doug DePady's 24-year-old son was dragged seven kilometers and killed after trying to stop a gas and dash while working the late shift at this ESSO. Being back here is difficult. The damage done on that day has moved forward through the rest of our life and all our children's lives. A new plaque has now been unveiled, paying tribute to Grant's Law. Passed in 2008, it required people to prepay for gas. It also required employers to install protective cages for employees working late at night and to have more than one worker on overnight shifts. But the law was scaled back in 2012, prompting an annual protest by those who say it puts workers in danger. Thank you. Thank you. Now there's no longer a requirement for two workers to be there for the late night shift. Um, and the barrier isn't required anymore. So workers might have a panic button, they might not. This video released by Saanich Police shows a brazen hotel robbery just last month. It happened around 4 a.m. The clerk was restrained and injured while the thieves took money. It's another example of why DePady continues to fight for workers' safety. It's going to cost workers their lives, and that's difficult to me to accept. It's what I'm fighting to prevent, and I think that's what anybody who's trying to make a difference in safety should be doing, not a knee-jerk reaction to what happened. It's important to us because no one should go to work and get injured, and we have uh, had some research done, and we know that if there was two workers, a lot of robberies and incidents wouldn't happen. There are currently no plans to restore Grant's Law to what it was before 2012. But those at the unveiling say the plaque will serve as a permanent reminder as to why the law is necessary. Jill Bennett, Global News. 
It's happened again. Just days after health officials warned parents about the dangers of young children easily falling from windows and balconies, a child in East Vancouver was rushed to hospital after doing just that. BC Emergency Health Services says first responders were called to a home on East 11th Avenue near Clark Drive just before 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. It's believed the child fell from a second-story window or balcony. There's been no update on the child's condition. Well, some nervous moments in Penticton last night. A wildfire prompted police to go door to door in a neighborhood, putting them on alert. Jules Knox has more on the quick response. Flames creeping up trees and plumes of smoke billowing from Carmi Mountain near Penticton on Friday evening. Fire behavior initially was uh, fairly intense, rank two surface fire, and uh, it was spreading quickly. The blaze, about 200 meters from homes on Salakin Road, prompting police to go door to door, putting 11 homes on a tactical evacuation alert. Air tankers and fire crews boxed in the blaze, bringing the fast-moving flames under control. Four firefighters stayed and watched it overnight. We did have some stronger winds pick up last night, so the, the crew did see some more active fire behavior, but by the morning it had settled down. The blaze is contained, but three initial attack crews continued to work on the fire on Saturday. We started the day just putting water on the perimeter of the fire. Also, people with hand tools, they're digging up hot spots along with the water. And then currently we have uh, three people that are falling dangerous trees. Crews say the fire is now about 80% mopped up, although there are hot spots. There are a few remaining in the middle, a few hot spots left, but um, nothing around the edge. Because the fire has settled down quite a bit, we don't expect any active fire behavior, but we will expect to see some more smokes pop up, so we'll be monitoring throughout the day. As for what started the fire, that's still under investigation, but officials say it wasn't lightning and it's suspected to be human-caused. Jules Knox, Global News, near Penticton. New regulations to fly commercial drones come into effect today. One of the big changes, operators of drones weighing more than 250 grams must take a pilot's test to be certified to fly. Pilots must be at least 14 years old for basic operation of a drone and 16 years old for advanced operations. And all drones must be registered. Drone operators will face fines of up to $5,000 if they're caught without proper certification. And starting today, there is no more free daytime parking on Granville Island. Drivers must now pay for all parking from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. The $3 and an hour fees are in effect until the end of September. During the winter months, it will cost $2 an hour. But some good news for cyclists. Granville Island is cracking down on bike theft with a valet service where cyclists can drop off their bikes and register them. And, as Nadia Stewart reports, it's an idea that may catch on in other parts of the city. Cyclists were rolling up all day long. I think it's great that they're doing it. Taking advantage of a two-for-one deal on Granville Island, where bike parking comes with another level of protection. Thanks to a partnership transforming Granville Island's once bad reputation for bike safety. Granville Island used to be the hotspot for bike theft in Vancouver. It used to be the worst. They were losing reported three bikes a day. And those were just the stolen bikes reported to Vancouver police. Detective Rob Brunt estimates the actual number was five times higher. Cyclists often failed to lock up their bikes or thieves would simply cut through the cables. Then in 2017, Granville Island rolled out a new pilot project, a partnership between the city, police, a nonprofit called Better Environmentally Sound Transportation, 
and the now infamous bike registration and anti-theft program, Project 529. They have a terrific program that captures your image, your bike's image, serial numbers and so on, and tie it all to a registration number here, this thing. Their recovery rate is astonishing. It's been super successful. We're just over three years of doing this. Vancouver was a pilot program for this. 529 is the biggest bicycle registration system in the world. Free bike valet also comes with a free Project 529 bike registration, a win-win. Detective Brun says he's already eyeing other Vancouver neighborhoods where a bike theft crackdown is needed. We've done such a great job here, but we've pushed a lot of that theft uh, into Creekside now. We would love to take this and replicate it there. The hope is to roll that plan out next summer. That is your Global News. The Better Business Bureau is trying to help you not become a victim of identity theft. The BBB hosted a shred-a-thon in Burnaby today. The agency says last year it received more than 700 reports of identity theft, leading to more than $1.1 billion in losses. It says more than 56% of ID theft victims traced the theft to something that was stolen from them and poor disposal of confidential documents. People in Vancouver have been doing double takes today, spotting a deer in their neighborhoods. Posts to social media show the animal in Gastown and Strathcona. No word on where the deer emerged from, quite possibly Stanley Park, though. Uh, those who saw it say it looked like a small fawn and was possibly malnourished. Another rare sight, independent gas stations. If you regularly head across the border at the truck crossing, you'll know this one. The Campbell Valley store is well known in the area. It's one of the last independent holdouts. But as Julia Foy reports, those days are over. Are you getting here? Yeah, thank you. It's Peter Schron's last day of work. Yes, yes. Old, <laughs> old customer. <laughs> At the Campbell River store in South Surrey, friends, family, and former employees just kept coming. Real, real family guy, white rock kid. The popular corner store and gas station, just a short drive from the U.S. border, has been owned by Peter's family for over 30 years. He took over from his dad. We were always independent, and that thank my dad for that being old school, very independent. We own everything, so nobody could tell us what to do. We bought our gas wholesale and we sold it. But members of the community say this business meant so much more. He's the best boss I've had, I've ever had. He was always fair. I would go home to take my kids and make sure they got to school with their lunches and stuff, and that would be going anywhere from half an hour to 45 minutes, and he wouldn't dock my pay. Just all the kids that he helped put through university and college was pretty incredible just for them having a job here. I always kind of came here after school every day. So I would have, I would get candy and you know, that kind of thing. That was, that's probably my favorite memory when I was little. We've been given another case, Mulder. The Canberra River store has also been featured on the small screen. X-Files did a really big production with where there was a monster running around the parking lot and we did probably 15 different events over the years. That was pretty exciting, seeing David Duchovny up close. It's also the last day for the hot dog seller outside the Campbell River store who says it's the end of an era. We've had people come to tears standing in front of us because it's like, what? This has been here our whole lives. As of next week, the property will be converted into a Chevron corporate store, but the name and the history will live on. Julia Foy, Global News.
Quadra Island's ferry terminal is now welcoming visitors with a Canada 150 initiative. A blessing ceremony was held today for three new welcome poles at the Quadhyatsky Cove Ferry Terminal. The totem poles were carved on Quadra Island by a local First Nations carver, a BC Ferries employee, and a local resident. The artist took four months to create. I'm honoured. Uh, it's definitely uh, you know, it's something I'm very proud to be part of it. Um, my parents have brought me up a very traditional ways in the way I've done my, my artwork and stuff. It's, it's been pretty positive, so it feels good, yeah. Feels, uh, we knew they were going up, we just didn't know when, so it's nice to have it done. It's billed as the world's number one fun run, and today the Foam Fest 5K took place at the Cloverdale Fairgrounds. More than 5,000 people showed up to make their way through more than 22 obstacles, from traditional mud run obstacles like a cargo pit, walls and crawls, to a number of giant inflatables filled with foam. The all-ages event supports the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Organizers raised $90,000 last year and are hoping to beat 100000 this year. Good, clean, fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, somebody had to say it, right? <laughs> Yvonne nice and Ferry are soft here. things to run into, not like those uh, tough mudders. Yeah, those are like tough. Like nails and thorns. That's no, a it's not dirty that bad, business. But it's tough, yeah. That one is, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice day for it. Yeah, very pleasant out there, warm, so maybe a way to cool down, or depending on which part of the course you were on. <laughs> uh, but a look at some of the numbers and where we did uh, see the temperature soar today. In the interior, back into the 30s, but most areas along the south coast, Port Alberni getting up to 26 into the Fraser Valley for Abbotsford up to 23 degrees. We'll have another warm day for tomorrow, so be prepared. A bit of a change on the way later on in the work week. I'll show you which day, and we'll have an update on the forest fires as well. Okay, thanks so much, Yvonne. Your turn. Okay, well, Raptors uh, game two goes tomorrow, tomorrow. so we will uh, tee that up for you. A lot of fans very excited about uh, Toronto being in the NBA Finals, and of course they're up one game to none, so we'll hear from Nick Nurse and the Stanley Cup playoffs are back at it today in St. Louis. First a playoff game in the finals in St. Louis in 49 years. So wow. kind of, there's been a lot of pent-up energy in uh, St. Louis. So unfortunately for them, the Bruins have kind of taken the air out of the uh, room a little bit, but highlights of that too. All right, looking okay. forward to it. Thanks so much. 137 additional BC firefighters have been deployed to northern Alberta. That's on top of the 267 sent last month, and they're going to need them. 24 wildfires are burning right across the province. Eight of them are out of control. One of those is the Battle Complex fire near the town of Manning. As Julia Wong reports, it has consumed an area bigger than Winnipeg. Firefighters and Manning gear up as they spread across the county of Northern Lights to keep it safe from the Battle Complex wildfire. Crews check in on properties near the edge of the fire. There he is right there. Jarvis Asmussen's property is only a couple kilometers from the blaze. This is what it is when you live next to a bush, you expect this stuff, so... Not much you can do about Mother Nature. Asmussen evacuated, but comes back every day to check on the house. Firefighters do the same. Making sure sprinkler systems set up here are in working condition. They also look in on the areas the fire could spread to. When the fire breaks out, it'll come out in the corner there first. The firefighters, from Manning and elsewhere, patrol the county every day, working long hours. Basically, we've been getting up anytime 
starting probably around 10 in the morning and then uh, usually go till about midnight. Uh, a couple days we went till about 2 in the morning when the fire's been really active in the evening. They may not be doing firefighting right now, but their eyes on the ground and ready to go. When you have a massive fire like that, you can't take it lightly. It's actually, I'm cautiously optimistic. Meanwhile, residents are being warned not to venture into the flooded neighborhoods in Arkansas. The water is so high in Fort Smith, emergency crews can't assess the damage until the water recedes. The river is predicted to remain at a major flood stage through until next week. More than a week of severe weather, including deadly tornadoes, has lashed the central United States. Video of a rare occurrence in Chile, a tornado Thursday night. Dozens of people were hurt. At least 16 were treated in hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. No fatalities have been reported, but more than 200 homes were damaged. The 12 victims of yesterday's mass shooting at a municipal building in Virginia have now been identified. But police are still trying to figure out why a 15-year city employee went on a shooting rampage. God bless every uh, first responder. Virginia Beach is a community reeling from a mass shooting claiming a dozen lives, now coping with their new reality. Today, we learned the names and saw the faces of the men and women, the 12 victims of a co-worker with two handguns. 16 hours ago, the lives of 12 people were cut short by a senseless, incomprehensible act of violence. Community members vowing never to forget those lost. But in the meantime, we need to be strong and we need to rely on our friends and our families and work together to move Virginia forward from here. And we will. Investigators continuing their search for clues reveal the shooter, a 15-year city employee, Dwayne Craddock, was armed for battle. This was a, um, a long-term Lack of any other term, running gun battle with this individual. This was not what is, a t is traditionally a, a police-involved shooting. This was a long-term, large gunfight. As more families add to a makeshift memorial outside the crime scene, a sign of the efforts to heal. Craig Boswell, NBC News, Virginia Beach. In Health Matters tonight, searching for romance online could lead to some unhealthy weight behaviors. Researchers at Harvard University studied more than 1,700 adults. They found that those who used dating apps were significantly more likely to take laxatives or diet pills or even induce vomiting to try to lose weight. Men who used the apps were more likely to use anabolic steroids or muscle-building supplements. Researchers say it's not clear if those people were already engaging in unhealthy habits, but are concerned appearance-based apps could exacerbate those behaviors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, we're going to get to that Elton John controversy in a moment, but first, an exciting weekend of miracles is about to begin. It's the 32nd annual Miracle Weekend in support of BC Children's Hospital. Global News Morning hosts Sonia Sunger and Paul Hasem join us with more. Hi, Sonia and mm. Paul. 
Hey, Colleen, thanks so much for checking in with us. There's a whole lot of excitement building here. This is the 32nd annual Miracle Weekend here at BC Children's Hospital. And this year is about surpassing last year's goal. Last year, they raised a record $21 million. Well, more than that. Yeah. And this year, the hope is at least $20 million. That's incredible. And it's we have a full crew here. Everyone's been working through the night. We've been setting up cameras. The hospital's transformed into a TV studio. John Hua's back there doing push-ups. We're getting ready. <laughs> this is going to be exciting. And there's a lot of ways that people can help out throughout the course of the night. We're going to start right at 6.55. So we're going to cut the news hour a little short. Barry, you're going to have to tighten up sports just a little bit if that's okay. Uh, 310-BCCH, 310-2224. And if you uh, watch... It starts at 6.55. We're going to go right the way through into tomorrow as well. And if you do want to help out, there's lots of ways. There's some miracle moments as well. Exactly. Right? That's when your money is doubled. So make a donation at that time. But make a donation anytime, really. Your money goes to such good use. And you're going to hear so many wonderful stories of the children, mm -hmm. the families who have been helped by BC Children's Hospital over the years. We've already met many of them. And really what they have gone through is just remarkable. And the thing about BC Children's Hospital is you don't know you need it yeah. in until you need it. Yeah. So that's what we're really getting across here. Um, and there are so many different ways to get involved. You can check out the website. You can get involved via social media. Hashtag Miracle Weekend. Yes. Uh, join us on the online as well. But uh, young host Avery will be joining us yes. right as we kick off the show. And we're going to have guest hosts right the way throughout. So it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're gearing to go. Colleen, <laughs> we'll see you right at 6.55. Fabulous. And I'll see you uh, at 10.30 tomorrow morning. I'll be down there as well. <laughs> Thanks, you awesome. guys. Uh, and it's going to be a, a, a nice weekend, but not, not the kind of weekend where you need to spend every minute outdoors, Yvonne. <laughs> you know, no. you want to watch the telethon. It'll be good to tune in. And if you're heading down to the hospital, there's lots of people that will be there as well. So we hope to see your support. Uh, and the temperatures are on the rise once again. It was a warm one today. Not quite record-breaking like yesterday, but we did see those temperatures getting into the 30s for many spots in the interior. We're sitting at 19 with the southwesterly wind at 13 highs of 20 today if you're by the water. Areas away up to 23. But with the humidex, it was feeling closer to 20. 26 degrees. 33 for areas near Kamloops today. A Soyuz bumping up to 32. The Peace up to 22. Prince George 24 in areas near Victoria today up to 22 degrees. We still have a bit of instability across the northeastern corners with the low. We've got the risk of thunderstorms and pushing into the southeastern. Overnight tonight, leaves off for most areas across the province. Coastal sections will actually see a bit of fog developing and then it'll dissipate. The next weather maker, however, is going to push in. We will see the return for rain fall. It'll be along coastal sections and then just clipping the northern areas of Vancouver Island and that'll be for the morning and early afternoon. And by the afternoon with the daytime heating, the interior once again could see a few isolated thunderstorms and then dry once again on our Monday. Fire danger rating for the northeastern corners, anywhere between moderate to high. Much of the southern half is included within that. An update right now, we've got 35 active fires, seven in the last two days. Most of them, we are looking at human caused at 21 and lightning caused right now at nine for those active fires. With the fires, though, it has eased off for the northeastern corners. We've had a shift in the winds westerly today, but it's still the southeastern areas with the air quality statement that is in effect for the East Kootenai and Elk Valley, and you'll still be impacted from the smoke for the next 24 and up to 48 hours. So a bit of a reprieve for the northeastern corners. We will see more cloud cover by the afternoon tomorrow. Showers pushing in on 
Monday and cooling off with only a high of 14. Whitehorse, fantastic, partly cloudy tomorrow. Get out and enjoy it. Showers developing for both Monday, Tuesday and along the north coast. That system that is pushing in, it'll be overnight as early as the morning hours. We'll start to see that light rainfall. Caribou and central interior, a nice dry start to the morning and increase in cloud cover, a chance of showers for the afternoon. Columbia and Kootenai region, a hot one tomorrow up to 31 degrees. We'll be well above the average for much of the interior. The average sits at a closer into the low 20s. Whistler tomorrow seeing that range between 21, 28 degrees and the island. It's the northern areas that will see that increase in cloud cover. A chance of showers in much of the southern and eastern sections will still be into the low 20s with some sunny breaks. Another pleasant day tomorrow. It'll be morning fog patches, afternoon sunshine, areas away from the water still getting up to 23 degrees. Monday, Tuesday, very pleasant. We're tracking a change on the way. It'll be much needed, but we are looking at a chance of showers as early as our Wednesday. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Elton John and the makers of the movie Rocket Man are slamming a Russian distributor who censored scenes from the film. Scenes featuring gay sex and drug use were deleted from the new movie, which explores John's personal and professional life. John and Paramount Pictures say they had hoped the film could open a dialogue regarding homosexuality, adding the decision to cut five minutes is, quote, a sad reflection of the divided world we still live in. The film opened in North America yesterday. It opens in Russia on June 6th. Well, an alligator isn't exactly what you want on a picnic date, but that's what happened in Florida. This video was captured by a couple at Lake Alice in Gainesville. The animal pops out of the lake and starts eating the couple's Chinese food. The couple eventually scare the alligator back into the water, a move that you might want to call a um, dine and splash. So, Barry, if I hadn't been working today, I would have joined these hundreds of Raptors fans who gathered in Vancouver this morning for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to score tickets to the NBA Finals. To cheer on the Raptors or Golden State, whatever your pick, let's cheer it for NBA Canada. Thank you. The ball drop contest at Jackpool Plaza this morning tasked the first 200 Vancouver fans to pick up a numbered basketball. One number was then chosen at random by a Google Home device with the lucky winner bagging two tickets plus airfare and accommodation to tomorrow night's game. Here's a random number, 88. I don't know if they'll sit me next to Drake or or anything, but uh, one can hope. I don't think you'll be sitting next to Drake. Well, I'll tell you what, the ticket prices we've heard for uh, courtside for game two, like, what, fifteen, twenty thousand. Twenty-three thousand 23000 was one I yeah. heard quoted. Wow. Wow. Well, I guess if you wanted to, you could still go. That's like, you know, that's, that's your... I'd rather week, be it's here. Your, it's your weekend, uh, your weekend wage. <laughs> Thanks, Colleen. Uh, well, the Raptors absolutely had to have, have the game one of the NBA Finals, especially with no Kevin Durant and the Warriors being uh, so rusty after a nine-day layoff. And credit Toronto, they were the better team all night long. But they know, and everyone else knows, the Warriors will be much better in tomorrow's game, too. And if Toronto wants to go up 2 nothing, they'll have to be much better, too. I think I think we've tried to do a um, conscious um, thought process of not really caring what the score of the series is, right? I think I think we know that the um, uh, 
games are really hard, and we know that after a win, the team gets it gets beat, gets really determined. Um, they try to fix things, and mostly, uh, you know, play a lot harder and, and more physical and all those kind of things. And um, the, for us, we, you know, just had a lengthy, lengthy film session. There was plenty on there that we need to do better if we if we want to win another game in this series. So we've got to fix those things and um, get ready to play a game. Treated as a game, one game. And that's a five o'clock tip tomorrow night in Toronto. It has been uh, nearly half a century since the last time the St. Louis Blues were in the Stanley Cup Finals. And they've had a lot of very good teams since then that just fell short. So it was an emotional moment for the franchise and a lot of the alumni when they did make it. Brett Hull, Barkley Plager were seen crying. It meant that much uh, that much to them. St. Louis has never won a Stanley Cup. So as you might imagine, some pent-up excitement got released today as the Blues hosted Game 3 against the Bruins with the the series tied at a game apiece. Electric atmosphere in St. Louis. The fans buzzing over these Blues, who of course were last place in the league in January and now are three wins away from the Cup. First shift, Sammy Blay bowls over the former Blue, David Backus, to set the physical tone, but Boston strikes first where it counts on the scoreboard. Tori Krug with the shot, deflected in by Patrice Bergeron. That big line Criticized for not producing. Well, they're producing now. one nothing on the Bruins' 20th power play goal of the playoffs. Another big hit. This time, Braden Shen sent cartwheeling a la Bobby Orr in the 1970 series. He was okay. Bruins on the rush now. Pretty pass play. Finished by Charlie Coyle, who's now got eight playoff goals. What a pickup from the Minnesota Wild. He was late in the season. Boston's not done yet. Final seconds. Sean Corrali with the quick shot. Beats the rookie. Jordan Bennington, five-hole. Bruins with a huge first period, led 3-0, and they weren't done yet. Early second, they keep the pedal down on the power play again. Krug to David Pasternak. No panic there as he lifts it past Bennington, and it's 4-0 Boston in the second. They look to take a 2-1 series lead. Champions League final, Tottenham and Liverpool, an all-England affair in Madrid. 27 seconds in, look what happens. A handball by Musa Sissoko in the box, and that's a penalty. That has to throw Spurs' game plan off somewhat. Mo Salah steps up and blasts it home. 1-0 Liverpool, and that was pretty much all of the excitement in an otherwise dull opening half. Of course, these teams played some wildly entertaining semifinals to get to the championship. Harry Kane did play for Tottenham. That left ankle couldn't have felt good after this hard tackle, but he wasn't a factor today. Spurs really created nothing. Then late off the Liverpool corner, substitute Divock Origi jumps on the loose ball and pounds it in. 2-0 Liverpool as Origi scores there, and that was that. Liverpool win the UEFA Champions League 2-0 the final over Tottenham Hotspur. Welcome back. The Whitecaps are on a much-needed three-week break in their schedule. They played an exhausting seven games in the month of May. Last night, the weary Whitecaps came within minutes of a win over Toronto FC but had to settle for a draw against their Canadian rivals. It was retro night. Whitecaps celebrating the 40th anniversary of their Soccer Bowl championship. Members of the 79 team on hand, Tony Waiters, inducted into the Ring of Honor. Lackluster first half, not much going on. Greatest chance, wasn't that great. Ali Adnan from about 30 yards away over the bar. Fast forward late second half. 
Jordy Reyna back after missing six matches, trying to break free, hauled down in the box. Now, Reyna goes down a lot, doesn't get a lot of calls, but that was pretty legit. He got chopped down, so a good call. Ref points to the spot. Freddie Montero is going to take the kick, and he hammers it in. 1-0 in the 84th, Montero's fifth. Surely the Whitecaps could hang on to a 1-0 lead with six minutes left, couldn't they? No, they could not. TFC pressing and they tie it. Nick DeLeon with the shot. Bit of a bad break, deflecting off Ali Adnan and into the net. 1-1 final. So now it's a three-week break for the Gold Cup for the Whitecaps. Their record now 4-6-6. Six, and six. That is eighth place in the West. French Open, third round action. Serena Williams, the 10th seed, 37 years old now, taking on 20-year-old Sophia Kennan, Russian-born, now playing for the U.S. Kennan making Serena move. Drop shot, then hammers the backhand pass. Kennan took the opening set 6-2, perhaps age catching up to Serena. Amazing she can still compete against players half her age, but Kennan sends Serena packing 6-2-7-5. Serena sitting on 23 Grand Slam singles titles. Meanwhile, Naomi Osaka, the world number one winner of the last two majors, the Aussie Open and the 2018 U.S. Open, when she beats Serena, but Osaka couldn't do anything right today on the red clay. Said she felt stressed out. Falls 6-4-6-2 to Katerina Siniakova. Novak Djokovic, the number one seed on the men's side, also won today. Third round of the Memorial, Tiger Woods making a move early at Muirfield Village. First hole out of the bunker. Tiger splashes it out and runs it in for a birdie. He likes that. 16th, Tiger's tee shot on the par three, holding that pose. This is his best of the day. Sticks it to five feet, and he would make that for birdie, a two under 70 for Tiger, four under for the tournament. He's tied 25th. Jordan Spieth has been in contention the past few weeks, hasn't won, but he's certainly improved his play after a slump of about 18 months. Maybe one of the best long-range putters on tour. 35-footer for Jordan, 11-under. He's tied for third. Hideki Matsuyama chops it out of the thick rough at 18 and in for a birdie. That's a great finish. He, too, like uh, Jordan Spieth at 11-under par. Ozzy Adam Scott at 18. This is the toughest hole on the course, but these guys making birdies here. Scott doing the same to three and a half feet. He's in second at 13-under. Everyone is chasing German Martin Keimer. On 16, he will knock in the 15-footer for a birdie. Six under 66 today, a two-shot lead at 15 under for the 2014 U.S. Open champ. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin way back at plus two. And third round of the U.S. Women's Open from Charleston, South Carolina. American Lexi Thompson moving up the leaderboard today thanks to a new putting grip. Going with the claw, just like Mickelson or Kawhi Leonard. They call him the claw. Eagle putt for Thompson. She's at six under, just one off the lead. Francis Celine Boutier with the birdie here at the 13th. Boutier is tied with China's Yu Lu at seven under par. Brooke Henderson is eight shots back at plus one, tied 27. Final round tomorrow. Okay. Thanks, Barry. Okay. People who love babies, this is for you. Who doesn't love babies? <laughs> babies were put to the test during this adorable crawling race in Lithuania. Yep. These little ones heading as fast as they could or as fast as they felt like it towards the finish line during the country's annual baby race. The babies between seven months and a year old raced along a carpeted track. Yeah, they're racing at top speed. Parents encouraged them to the finish line by flashing cookies, toys, 
Even cell phones, my goodness. <laughs> oh, that is adorable. I thought and the standard uh, thing was usually a set of keys, no? That's usually the yeah, trick. For some reason, sound. babies and keys. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. <laughs> nice day tomorrow? Yes, nice tomorrow, another hot one, and then still dry into early next week. Too. Fabulous. Time now for the start of the 20, 32nd annual Miracle Weekend Telethon.